Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, Ned. Hello. Where are you? I'm in, well, look at the uniform. <laughs> I know. Look at the uniform. It Show the badge. A... Show the badge. Yeah. That's an amazing uniform. Yeah. But wait, who else is with you? Well, I'll let them introduce themselves, maybe. Uh, yes. A uh, question from uh, Matt Rendell uh, for uh, the uh, Abu Dhabi tour. Uh, Abu Dhabi Sports Channel, in fact. Straight in with the questions. Yeah. <laughs> That's what, that's what Ned, Ned asked a question in the press conference. And he said, uh, Ned Bolting, uh, United Kingdom. As if, as if the medium he was representing was the United Kingdom. <laughs> so yeah, I've got Matt and Pete with me here in my hotel room in the United Arab Emirates of Abu Dhabi, which is, uh, yeah, sandy. and uh, yeah. Pete's embraced Pete, the whole look as well, because we've been given our uniforms by the, the race organisers, David. Uh, we're all wearing matching kit, just for you. What do you think? I think it's beautiful, especially of the fact Pete seems to have the actual official polo and cap on as well. <laughs> so true. That- uh, I was so excited when Ned gave me the, the bag with the kit. I just couldn't wait to get back to it. I felt like a, a neo-pro again, you know, when you first get your team, your team kit. And I was trying on it. It's already on Instagram. Love it. I was doing poses in front of the mirror. Honestly, I really like it. It's like a bomber jacket, 50s... Six, yeah. I would say 50s, 60s vibe, no, I'm, 50s maybe. Yeah, I'm questioning whether or not he can actually wear it in, you know, back home. Yeah. Like, it's okay, One, it's one thing sort of wearing it in Abu Dhabi, which is a slightly unreal place, isn't it? I think you can. <laughs> well, Pete seems adamant that you can just wear it down Tesco's. Yeah. And people, won't, people will be fine with that. They'll just think, these are breakout. I tell you stuff. what, it's, Pete, it's, like, it's a new golf outfit. Well. It looks like a really nice golf it, stuff. Especially the polo t-shirt. All done up, it's lovely. Mm. But I mean, this bomber jacket, I mean, you put a nice set of Tom Ford sunglasses on, jeans, loafers, yeah. done. Jobs the trousers have got elasticated waists, so I feel like I'm, <laughs> I, I feel like I'm close to retirement. It's good. It's good. <laughs> so what's going on in the race? What's, what's happening? Well, it hasn't, hasn't started, David. Starts tomorrow. Oh, okay. <laughs> when, does it, when does it start? It starts tomorrow, David. It starts tomorrow. When did you get there? Who won today then? Well, I won today with my question to Mark Cavendish at the press conference. It was brilliant. Oh, Mark says hello, by the way. He, actually, that's a lie, Pete. He didn't really say hello. No, no. But I told him you were here and he went, Is he? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, never mind, never mind where are we. Where are you? What's going on? I'm in Switzerland in a place called Champery. Actually, the Tour de France comes near here this year, I think. Up towards Châtel. Um, it does, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Chatel, that's where we used to do our training camps pre tour. That's a lovely little place. It's oh, beautiful. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I'm here. So Nicole's um, dad has a chalet here, and he's been coming here since he was like 10 or 11. So just got our kids into it as well, which is nice. 
Very good. Now, you sent me a little um, a little video of you doing some sports this morning, David. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What was yeah. it? Yeah. How, so it's my, time, it's my time traveller challenge that I'm doing with Chapter 3. And I'm so scared now that I realise how unfit I am. Well, you have to tell these guys. To have to train t- me. have to tell these guys about it because they may not know what the time trialer. Tra- yeah. Tra- yeah so, well, Pete knows it because he started kind of working with me a bit last year and then I, I flaked out as I've done numerous times. And I thought, okay, I need to actually get fit. I mean, it's getting really bad. And I couldn't find a way to motivate myself. And I decided that I was going to try and train to do a 10 mile time trial again. And, but in May and just, just my own one, you know, make up the course. And then I thought, well, as it, the more I got into it, the more, the long, the more the procrastination, which was inevitable, the more I built it up into a bigger thing. And I thought, oh, I'm going to get a bike made. I'm going to get a speed suit. I'm going to get proper training. I'm going to learn all about nutrition again. And I decided, decided to turn it into this kind of 12 week masterclass of rediscovery of time trialing and invite people to come along on it. So we're doing that over at chapter three and it's, that's the only way I can actually force myself to get fit is by putting that much pressure on myself. So I've brought my bike and and trainer up here to, to Switzerland and was on it this morning on Zwift. Isn't it amazing how creative you have to be, David, in order to get yourself out (laughs) on a bike? (laughs) I had to I had to turn it into this huge project just to get a little bit fit. But I was testing last week. I did testing last week, and it's just like, and then this morning I was just, but it's really bad. But yeah, so it's which is good because it means that there's going to be a lot of improvement in theory. And for the course and time predictions, what are we looking at? Is Mm. it a fast course? Is it time? So what we? Well, I'm going to do a fast course. I'm going to do a really fast course, Pete. I'm going to find a flat course near me in Girona, out near the coast. I, and this is actually, this is the intrigue I have, because I'm going to get, like, facts from making one of their new Hanzo bikes. Castelli are going to do me one of their super duper kind of Ghana suits. And so I'm going to have, like, every advantage possible. <laughs> so I reckon I'll be doing significantly, well, I know I'll be doing pretty low watts. So if I get, like, a mid 300s, I'll be really happy for 20 minutes, mid height. And, you know, and, but then with all the super duper equipment, I should be able to go pretty fast. Yeah. I mean, mid three hundreds of all that kit you on a flat course. I would probably say around twenty minutes. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking, Pete. With the tailwind, and that's what's going to be interesting. (laughs) Find somewhere with a tailwind, slightly (laughs) downhill. Yeah, it's not. It's not a point. It's like not an out and back. It's a point to point. Yeah. There is only one competitor, so um, if you don't win, Dave, you're going to be doing pretty badly. Yeah, and I've got Christian Vanderveld roped into it as well, my old teammate. So he's going to be kind of doing it. So we're doing deathmatch, and then we're just saying that everyone else should join it, and because we're giving all this training advice and different things, and and nutrition advice, and people can do it wherever they like on whatever bike they want, and just see if they can improve in twenty minutes and in three months, which is a pretty. That's what people should use surpass as well, because that's like twenty minutes is like kind of a pretty good benchmark, isn't it, Pete? It's kind of doable. 20 minute i mean attempt t- 10 mile time trial efforts um it's mm. great i mean the scene on the isle of man for the, the it's every wednesday and it's just massive over there because like you say so many people can get involved and it's a challenge challenge against yourself what's your best mm. what's your best 10 mile tt yeah it's not that fast that 20 no 1936 oh. on the isle of man though is that still the course record pete Maybe not. Uh, maybe a junior or mm. someone took yeah, it last year, which was hard. It was it hard now. to take. It was really hard to take. I've I actually thought about doing a bit of a comeback like you, like you're doing, just to try and get the record back. 
Then I realised what would be involved, and I was like, not a chance. You could do that. No, I, it's a lot of hard work. Join and dedication, in with this. Yeah, that's a good point. Join in the time traveller. What, would, what would I do? What fine. would I do out here, though? Uh true. You'll be f- well. You can get the gear. You'll be fine. You don't need all the gear. I'm just doing because I need all the gear. <laughs> hey, Dave, Dave, David, yeah. really, you need to ask Matt what he's been doing this evening, I think. That's what you've been doing. Matt, what have you been doing this evening? Because <laughs> he knows, because Bolting knows. At least he doesn't know, but I've told him. I've told him I've got a tale to tell, but I can't tell him until we're live on the podcast, because otherwise it'll spike it and I won't be able to tell it anymore. <laughs> And and I won't get a genuine reaction out of you and these two. I um, I got a call this morning from working for Abu Dhabi Sports Channel, and I got a call this morning saying your car is on its way. I said okay, all right, brilliant. So um, and then I get another car from this uh, another call from this this voice who he doesn't really speak English at all, and my Urdu is not the best, nor is my Pashtun. And my Arabic is is not great. And um, he didn't have English. And uh, anyway, he was kind of, the gist of it appeared to be, uh, I'm your driver, I'm in the car outside the door. That appeared to be the gist. So I said, okay, um, I'm just walking out the door now and I'm waving. Okay. So so this car comes up and I said, are you in a grey taxi? And he said, yes. And I said, okay, brilliant. So I switched the phone off and I get in the back of this car and I said, um, and you're taking me to the Abu Dhabi Sports Channel? And he said, yes, sir. So we set off and 40 minutes later, I get a call from the channel going, where are you? And I, I'm going, well, I'm in, I'm in the car. And he go, and they said, no, you're not. <laughs> said, oh, God. Oh, God. And they said, where are you? And I said, well, look, I'm, I'm somewhere in Abu Dhabi because I can't be any more specific because I don't know where I am. And anyway, long, long, long and short of it is, so I eventually got there. There were two long conversations with this taxi driver who eventually dropped me off in the right place. And I went and I did a bit of punditry on the telly. Were you and good? Then, were you good? Oh, I was, I was brilliant. I was brilliant. And um, came out, and um, and there's this bloke uh, with a face mask, um, kind of looking daggers at me, and I'm going, who, I've never seen this guy before. Is, who, who is who is this guy? Turns out he's the taxi driver. Except obviously I've been sitting in the back, and I haven't even seen the taxi driver's face, and he hasn't been paid. Oh, right. Because I I, I said to him this morning, I said, look, I I don't have any cash on me. I've got a, I can pay you with a card. And he goes, no, don't take a card. And I'm going, well, I don't know what to do, but I've got to be in there on the telly in about five minutes. And so, so anyway, the production manager comes out and he says to me, um, have you got cash? And I said, no, I haven't got any cash. And he goes, um, well, how do you travel from country to country and not having cash? And I'm going, well, I mean, I've just, I got here in the middle of the night and I, you know, I haven't, and he, um, and on reflection, I'm going to just as well, I don't have cash, otherwise you'd be making me pay for this taxi that you've got to pay for. Because, I mean, I'm working for you. And, and then he pointed, he did one of those things that, you know, people in real life who've got jobs. Yeah, no, um, well. Well, yeah, I mean, kind of, you, yeah. you know the idea. He did one of those things where he goes, this is your fault uh-huh. to me, right? Yeah. And I'm going, 
Yeah, what you're saying is um, you're going to dock this from the, uh, the, my pay. Yeah, I, you know, this is you, you are liable for, and I'm going, okay, so tomorrow morning this car arrives. What, how am I going to know whether you're going to send someone who we've got no mutually intelligible language, right? He's, he's, he could be anywhere, and I'm going to say, are you outside the hotel? He's not going to understand what I'm saying. Oh, you know, tell him to walk into the hotel, you know, like when you get off a plane and yeah. uh, with my name on it. Because otherwise, it's, how could I possibly know whether I'm in the right It's like when, I was surprised when you turn up at the airport, actually, when, we, when I arrived, yeah. and the amount of unofficial taxi drivers yeah. asking yeah. you, do you need... Because I thought in a country where they're quite strict on rules... Yeah. This wouldn't be the case. Mm. Uh, there's so many people trying to get you in a car. Yeah. Yeah. But what I want to know about, because you, you, so just to fill in, you know, for the listeners, you do this job for, it's not commentating, it's punditry. Yeah. It's what Chris Boardman does on the ITV show, isn't it? You know, you stand in the studio well, set and you analyse. No, it's not, it's not quite what Chris does, because I, I actually do have some idea oh! <laughs> who, who the riders are and what the race is called. <laughs> And but you are kind of billed quite expansively, aren't you? You're kind of like your credentials. Well, I used to be. That was Kamal who who used to say, who used to say, hey, "Welcome to world world most famous journalist of cycling, Rendell Matt." <laughs> I mean, he never quite worked out which was my actual the my the name that he should call me. Yeah. And so I, I became kind of Rendell, Matt, and and then he called me Randall, like uh, some old American daytime TV star. <laughs> and actually that is the quality of the service I was providing, so that was probably quite right. Yeah, yeah, that's what I do. That's what I do. I am world's Pete. famous, most Randall, Matt, journalist of the cycling. Randallero, where have you come from? Colombia? Uh, yeah, I was in Colombia last week. I was in Colombia last week. Me and Tom Dumoulin. Me and Tom Dumoulin. Yeah. What's this story about some 12-year-old kid kind of hanging with Dumoulin and, and Uran? I saw that pop up somewhere. Are you up to speed on that one? No, I'm not, not up to speed <gasps> on A Colombian that one, story no. you're not up to speed on. Yeah, somebody has this story I saw going around. This 12-year-old new human went riding with Uran and, and Dumoulin and kind of hung with them for quite a long time on a mountain. I give up. Seems totally feasible these days. What about you, Pete? How was winter? Winter? Yeah, you could put it that way. <laughs> because the last Jeff. time we seen each other was at the tour, which That's was true. summer. So, well, the um, last time I saw David was, was in winter, Turkey. Which wasn't winter. Which was mm. last week. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Winter is the thing that happens between winter went fast. autumn and spring. Yeah. Winter yeah. went fast. I don't know for you guys, but for me, it flew by. Well, you're super busy, aren't you? David, he's super busy. Can you believe it? He's yeah. a DS. That's great. Yeah, it just happened all of a sudden. I was I was not really, really the opposite of super busy, which is not busy, for three years. <laughs> um, and all of a sudden, I'm really busy. Doing stuff all the time, responsibilities. Um, I'm flying here, there, Jeez. everywhere, you know, jet setter, lifestyle. It's good. Is this I like, like J-O-B stuff? I like it. Yeah, it's good. So working with Trinity Racing for this year, which has been incredible. Oh, nice. Yeah, great. Working <laughs> with actually, you know, Camilo, the the mountain biker from Columbia. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he should do it. Yeah. Um, he's a great talent, an amazing person, obviously, because he's Colombian. 
Um, so it's been great. I've just just come from a training camp in Calpe, uh, where I've been for the last ten <laughs> days, and it's been it's been fantastic. T- um, David, Pete was telling me earlier we we're just having a chat, um, and I remember commentating on the tour of Britain uh, with Adam Blythe this year on uh, the contribution from a certain Tom Glogue. Thomas is he Tom? It's Tom Glogue, right? Tom, yeah, Thomas Glogue, but Tom Glogue. Tom, he's Tom, called right? Glogue. People just call him Glogue. Glogue. It's yeah. an unusual surname, isn't it? Yeah. Glogue. Anyway, um, but he's the next new. <laughs> he's the next new human. Well, he's one of the next new humans to look out for, isn't he? He's a super. Yeah, talent. he's. He actually spent some time in Colombia yeah. last year. Yeah. I, I'm not sure how that came well, about. I'll tell you how it came about. I go. think I know how it came about. He was training. He was on KRL's development. He was on KRL's um, development squad, which and is a was... big step for a guy from London. By Absolutely. The way, to just... Yeah. Yeah. And he was only 18 or something at the yeah. time. And First he, year under 23. 17, 18. And he, um, he ended up in Tenerife or somewhere like that. He got or stuck, he? And he got stuck, yeah, basically, because the British changed. You know, you couldn't fly back. And he said, well, instead of going through all the rigmarole of having to self-isolate when I get back to Britain or whatever it was, I will go to Colombia. And he was mates somehow with Esteban Chavez's brother, who is... Brian. Brian. Brian Chavez. And somehow he ended up going there. So he ended up doing this kind of like unorthodox and slightly informal training camp with the Chavez brothers in, the, yeah, in Colombia. He's yeah, he's a raw talent. And he actually, me and Stanard were talking, he reminds us a bit of Froome on the bike. And he can just, he's got this kind of, is this computer brain where he can just switch on to anything, you know. So for instance, on mm. on the training camp, um, we told, I said for him to do an hour and a half of the first four hours on his time trial bike because he hasn't rode it much over the winter. And he, he literally is in the, the time trial position on the time trial bike for the hour and a half, you know, where if you told me <laughs> or someone else, you'd be just yeah. on the, the what, what would you call them, side bars, you know, upright, yeah. not really engaging <clears throat> in the process of being on your time trial bike. But he was like <laughs> fixated with being in this position, but it's great. And yeah, he's he's an amazing so cool. talent. First year under twenty three last year, so this will be his second year under twenty three. Uh, and I would say, as a quite a naive bike rider and almost new to the sport, already fourth in the Baby Giro as a first year under twenty three, which is Jeez. incredible. His power to weight is insane. I think he did um, three hundred and eighty two watts for an hour at sixty two kilos as a first year under oh twenty three. God and. So and, no. and and also his cadence is incredible and it's natural. It's just he just pedals really fast. So we did these threshold efforts on the camp and he was averaging one of his efforts for it was like four minutes threshold, three minutes zone three, four minutes threshold for twelve, thirteen minutes, whatever it was. Hundred and eleven average cadence. Which for any, wow. you know, geeks out there on Watson cadence mm. is to do hundred and eleven cadence at three hundred and eighty watts is crazy. Well I t- I t- And it's natural, you know, really natural. Just because there will be people who don't understand what you're talking about there. Yeah. But David, I you, you know the little video you sent me this morning of you <coughs> working out on your turbo. Yeah. I enhanced, mm-hmm. enhanced. <coughs> I did a bit of a Blade Runner, you know, <laughs> thing. Looked at the screen, <laughs> your Zwift thing, and you were chucking out 191. It also it bounced oh, around like, a bit between 191 and 193. So that's just sitting there cruising around like 100 cadence, 188 watts. You know. Nice. Just getting nice. it done, Ned. It's getting done yeah. <laughs> like a machine. But so, what's what's UAE like? Have you got any um, have you got any history? Yeah, well, I I've been reading a little bit about it. I mean, Matt, do you know much about the history oh. of UAE? Because it is kind of remarkable, isn't it? We were talking a little bit about it earlier on today, weren't we? Yeah, yeah, well, a little bit. I mean, it, hmm. it, 
it it kind of it was different um different sort of tribal groups family groups clans um who sort of uh who bunched together i think i think around the nation states were happening and the saudi family was um getting its act together in a different part of the arabian peninsula and they sort of um and they thought for protective reasons we we better form a form a thing form a nation state um and 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 then there was a bit of a to do, I, I I know that there's um, Great Britain had one of those treaty things. You know where you sign an agreement with someone, but uh, it, it doesn't actually entail committing yourself to anything. Not really. Not if you're British, because we can just say, "Well, we're British. I know we committed ourselves to defending you, but um, we've decided we won't do that anymore." So there's a bit of that comes into it, isn't there? And there's um. There's a bit of oil and gas and stuff comes into it too. So there we are. That's Matt's guide to the UAE history in detail. <laughs> but how do you go from, you know, these small communities? And my history goes as far as when you land in Abu Dhabi Airport. Did you see it on the way out? And they have how it's the, how the city's evolved over from 1950. I saw that, but so, I walked straight past it. Did you, you actually take a look? I, or, yeah, or, I, was or, just, I was looking at the individual photos, but there obviously has to be outside input from somewhere because you don't go from a small community in a in a village which is the houses are built from god knows what to this massive oil industry you know so it's crazy isn't it and then here we are racing bikes what what is what is really mad about it and something i didn't realize until until i uh we're actually we've lost david at the moment i should explain <laughs> like the internet connection to switzerland is gone so it's just us lot talking um but what is mad is that uh the oil was it re- is a relatively recent thing you know i mean like so we've been drilling for oil ever since the combustion engine was invented you know in the late 19th century so oil has been a thing but it didn't actually get discovered here until i think i'm right in saying the 60s matt or the very late 1950s when they first started drilling for oil. And so that's a lot of progress. And like you say, a lot of mad building in a really short space of time. And independence for the UAE, that was an interesting... So the the, the treaty that you're talking about is they, they used to, on the coast here, um, they used to basically, they were pirates to a lesser or greater extent. And they used to, yeah, and they used to harass um, British seafaring traffic that was going round the Cape of Good Hope um to and from india and there used to be a constant thorn in the british side and the british kind of eventually said uh do you know what uh you've got to stop doing that now because it's getting really irritating and um by the way if you don't stop doing it what we're going to do is probably obliterate you and take you over and you're you know it'll be a nightmare so that's when they kind of reached an accord with these various different emirates and they said you that you were talking about and they kind of said like all right so we'll we'll we'll, we'll all just kind of agree to get on and stop doing that in exchange for a bit of this but effectively the emirates came under protect you know british kind of informal formal british protectorate of sorts without being part of the british empire up until the point where they were under threat do you think like iran might have played a role in that matt maybe so like they suddenly in the early 1970s i think wilson was a president president prime minister of great britain and he they suddenly realised they might have to live up to their obligations of actually defending the Emirates against um, threat. And at that point, Matt, they went, nah, 
we do. We actually, it's not really in our national interest to do so. So I'm terribly sorry, but um, goodbye. Goodbye. And that's when they became an independent state, which is kind of interesting, isn't it? So, uh, so that's the story of the Emirates. But, but where you go? That's our total travesty of the history. <laughs> it's wildly inaccurate. But the, I can tell you that there are seven Emirates, right? And we're going through a few of them, aren't we, on this race, right? Yeah. Well, there's Dubai. And I'm, I'm, I'm working for Dubai TV, actually. Um, this week, but um, I haven't spoken to them, so I don't know when, when or where or how much for. There's certainly Dubai. There's Al Marja, isn't there? And um, I'll tell you what people don't know. Um, my friend, uh, shall I get? Pete's just left. Um, there's no internet connection to uh, David Miller, so this is this is me and you. This is you and me. So my my friend. My friend Salim is from Al Marja. Is oh, is there? Is there? Is there? Yeah, go on, carry on. Um, um, this is my, my friend Salim, who's the head of the uh, Cycling Federation in Al Marja. He rode the UAE Tour in 1983, and the UAE Tour. I mean, it does go back to the 80s, and it was what? part of this. What? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 totally. Oh, no, I didn't know that. Ah, oh, well, okay. and there was this uh, this alternative sort of reality this other dimension of world cycling which was um that he showed me photographs of it and newspaper reports from the uae tour in the early 80s and it's full of there are moroccans and egyptians and tunisians um turkish team um yeah this there's this whole cycling scene here yeah that, and and i i guess kind of the 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 first british expats but um yeah yeah, a whole a whole cycling world, and of course, you know, tour of Turkey goes back to 1964. And now that, that was I knew, yeah. yeah, okay, yeah. That's so there was this whole other cycling reality, you know, that that, that people have got know nothing about, you know, not, it just doesn't really exist. And these are nationalities that have barely contributed to, you know, have, have barely had representatives at all at the Tour de France and so on. Just like places like Indonesia and. You know the Philippines and 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 Korea and down there where there are you know there's a huge amount of cycling that's been going on for years and years and years and years and years and, years and really good riders but they've just never even for someone you know, like me who's you know the whole life back. The, yeah I'm back sorry he's back he's <laughs> the back. whole life's been about cycling and it's been um, you know a huge part of my culture my whole family's involved me and Ned were talking over um, a late bit of lunch uh, even how naive we are. Or to what goes on in the cycling world and what's involved with races, what races are out there. The hidden motivations. Yeah. The hidden motivations sometimes. Yeah. yeah. That's really interesting. Hey, th- interestingly, and I didn't realize this until we were swapping messages the other day, Pete, this was your last ever race. Yeah. The only time Fancy you raced that. it, right? Was when in 20... When did you... 20? No, I think I've done it twice. Oh, you've done uh, it twice. For Sky back in the day in 17 and then... Or uh, it must have been 2019. So, yeah, unknowingly, yeah, it was my last race. So, a bit weird <laughs> coming back here, to be honest. <laughs> What's it like to race? It's an obvious it's, question. But... It's, it's not that obvious, actually, because... Well, it's from... quite an obvious question. Might, might be, no, a, I mean, the, might be an, the, the, a, a, a very yeah. interesting and revealing answer, which I will yeah, because elucidate. we're talking about, even in terms of commentating on it, it's quite straightforward, isn't it? I mean, tomorrow's stage has got approximately three or four corners. <laughs> 45 kilometers 
Out left. Look, look, look. 40. I've broken it down here. here Stage one, right? After so 184k in total, 131 after 131 turn right. So it's 53 kilometers done before you turn right. So <laughs> not very complex, but as a rider, that just gives you all the time in the world to think about how hot you are, how your legs are feeling. Yeah, it's almost it's like to explain it, it's like being on a indoor turbo trainer because it's not undulating, you're not in and out of the saddle, you don't have to concentrate on the change of road or the direction or what's to come up. In your head, you know, okay, there's 50 kilometers until the next left-hand turn, which isn't even that complicated because it's on a massive wide road. So with that, it's it's mentally quite hard and tasking because, you know, you're trying to count down these kilometers in your head during the stage, but it takes forever. The perception of time completely changes. And then with that, again, also people switch off within the race and you have these massive cat eyes out here, which you can't see on TV either. So, you know, you'd, it'd be, it was almost like bombs going off in the middle of the race because people would relax and they go to take a rice cake out of the back pocket, one hand on the bar, hit a cat eye, and there'd just be an explosion in the peloton and 50 riders would be down on the ground. And then you'd be nervous because of that. And then for the sprint finish, because of the nature of the race, and there's a large portion of the peloton, probably 90%, who haven't really touched the front or used much energy. Um, everyone's fresh for the sprint finish, which then again makes it even more dangerous. And tomorrow's absolutely straight as a die for the fans. So you can, in theory, you know, allowing for haze and 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 you know the limits of your eyesight and the curvature of the earth you you could see the finish line for 53 kilometers i mean it's just straight ahead of you and how you well the, the, the first time they ever did that finish andrea guardini won which is i think the last one of his ahead of tom bonham was it yeah. and i'm going well and i like andrea guardini but um he he's not the greatest sprinter in the world but he clearly won. Well, clearly, I don't know what the circuit. I was there, but I don't know what the circuit. I remember was that year. He was yeah. winning a little bit. Yeah, winning point, a yeah. little bit. But you know, at the same time, you're sort of going the 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 judgment to be at the front on the finish line when you've been able to see the finish line, for, <laughs> you know, for that long has got to be. I mean, it's got to play games with your with your head. Yeah, it's about being patient, basically. Even it. I don't know if the listeners were watching. Oh man where you know obviously Cav won a was it two stages one what oh it was only one was it one yeah it was one. only one wasn't it one. yeah it was the, sorry it was the second one where he missed out um how late he was leaving how late he was leaving the sprint um so it's a bit of a gamble hey. because i'm back oh, guys he's back sorry we're talking cycling david we're talking sprint oh, I knew. that's why i was just listening enjoying just, just all the expertise out. Yeah, and zoning out. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Did you um, did you do the desert races, David? I only did Qatar twice, I think, in two thousand and eight. Oh, that's and an, maybe that was an year. intense race, wasn't it? Ah, uh, horrible. I think it's still got one of my kind of hardest ever first hours. Did you, you did that, Pete? Didn't you? Where it started out in that kind of castle in the desert? No. And no, uh, I didn't do it that. Was one. Horrible. You'd have like a one kilometer neutral which was already a full-on race. And then it was echelons within 50 to 100 metres after the kilometre zero and then just flat out all day. That and was... that's when I knew <laughs> I should have never come. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know straight away, don't you? Already on the start line. Like, what am I doing here? That was when Savella testing. Around, just like, oh, was no. was that Savella testing when they were they were new and they, they they had like three in the top. Was that that year or was was that even before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that that was. Yeah, it would have been. I think the next year, two thousand nine oh, okay. or two thousand ten, was when they did that. But it was just it was just horrible because all those guys were so excited, like literally just loved it so much. And you were there and you thought, oh no, I'm going to have to love this or I'm going to get killed. And, but yeah, it was, um, it's an experience, that's for sure. Yeah, but that's that is, also when so you know, what, isn't it, David? Sorry, that when you look around and you realize how much everyone's loving it, then maybe <laughs> so you haven't excited. got a long left. <laughs> was it, was it They'd be like Sky's waiting all winter for it. Race? Was it Team Sky's first ever race, um, Qatar? Yeah, well, and Kurt Asla Arverson on the first stage. In the neutralised uh, section, fell over and broke yeah. his elbow. Yeah, or something. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, what's the difference? What races do exist now in the desert? What are the, what's left? Well, more. Got, more well, we just maybe. had Saudi. Oman. And then Oman. Saudi. Both of which Oman. it's quite interesting. Both of which David are uh, um, run by ASO. Uh, yeah. And, and RCS. This one's RCS. This is RCS, who obviously own and run the Giro d'Italia. Um, have got have got the premium race really, you know, the fusion of the old Dubai tour and the Abu Dhabi tour stuff together. This is where the money is. This is a world. It's a world tour race, um, and it's quite interesting, isn't it? Because you think of ASO as being this kind of big monolith, and they've got you know, in terms of the grand tours, obviously the Tour de France kind of bulldozes the Giro, doesn't it? In certain regards, but but what's 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 interesting here in the Middle East is RCS. Have got the advantage, you know. It's, it's uh, over, well, you know why. Properties. I've on. Got, here's one of my theories: is because Italy's much more glamorous to the Middle East than France, and so they probably think they got the better partner when they got RCS because they think Ferrari, they think shiny things, and they think, yeah. And so, even though RCS perhaps and RCS, let's face it, probably love the Middle East. The Italians love the Middle East a lot more than the French do. For the very same reason, so it's so it's just natural that this has happened. Yeah, I mean, it's like Mark. It's like Mark. Mark loves it as well, and he loves Italy and the Middle East. Yeah, he Mark, loves he loves a bit really, of Abu Dhabi. He really does love it. He really loves it. Yeah. He was out here in October and November. He told me when I asked him. Of course, he was. Of course he was. Yeah. In my I don't question. think he's been anywhere else on a holiday for the last fifteen years. <laughs> <laughs> It's just so normal. No, but um, you know Anthony McCrossan? Everyone knows Anthony McCrossan. Yeah. Because there isn't a bike race that happens in the world without his involvement. He's cloned himself six times over. Anthony McCrossan is... Because we live our lives bathed in, in currents of his voice that sweep over us Anthony for McCrossan. weeks on end. The, the true voice of cycling. Anthony, Anthony is a lovely guy. He was hosting the press conference there and I had a chat with him because he has done inevitably... He was he was at the Saudi tour, then the tour of Oman, and here he is at the UAE tour. So he's done the full desert, um, desert thing. But he was saying that uh, the Saudi tour, David, the accommodation that was <laughs> was organised. It was a race that had a base, so everybody slept in the same hotel, riders yeah. and everyone. And then the kind of race went out. The huge transfers, but they came back to the same base every night. It didn't go around the country, but the accommodation that was <laughs> was organised. By ASO for the various people working on the race. So all the camera people, all the operatives, all the people on the convoy, plus Anthony McCrossan and others, um, 
was told it was sold to him as being luxury accommodation in inverted commas will be provided um luxury cabins will be provided in the desert and when they got there they were just uh porter cabins that had been plonked in the sand with a bunk bed in and apparently no. it was in the desert it was freezing at night absolutely freezing cold and they were like after about two nights of this they were they were all just kind of working out different strategies of staying alive overnight because it was that cold <laughs> they were cuddling yeah. yeah even on tv the saudi tour looked quite rogue didn't it some it of the, the yeah. finishes and yeah i was like wow this is out there well it is a state that um routinely executes people beheads them. it beheads them publicly uh, and it's mm. worth noting that you know the united arab emirates is a country that doesn't behead people publicly but it does have um significant problems to overcome in terms of its you know attitude towards representation and democracy the uae 94 if you look at amnesty international's website you know it's it's, it's worth a look there are 94 different dissidents journalists opposition activists there is a, a law which um prohibits any criticism or stirring up of i think i'm i'm right saying any kind of oppositional fervor on social media here you've got to be pretty careful in these countries this is their gaff their rules right and it's good to see you guys in your uniforms <laughs> so you've taken yours <laughs> off yeah, yeah. i um yeah. i might have um gaffed this morning i i might be i might have people around in the morning to arrest me and take me away well, because I was sitting there in reception, um, talking to um, this this bloke from the Abu Dhabi Sports Council, um, and um, no, and he he was saying he was saying so, um, yeah, what are the the French uh, like? They also organise the races, the Tour de France, and I said to him, yeah, yeah, I said yeah, they do, but. <laughs> I said, I'll tell you what happens because I said I've, I've done I've done quite a few of the I've done quite a few of the desert races, and I said um, the 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 main difference between the two is that um, when so ASO's kind of massive and RCS the Italian the Giro organisers are quite small, and I said um, when you get when you get when you when ASO organise your event right you think you're getting the Tour de France. Yeah, but what you tend to get because they're a massive organisation, you tend to get sort of the the office juniors that come and organise your event. Whereas, to be fair, when you get RCS, yeah. it is actually the A crew who organise the Giro d'Italia. Um, I can remember years ago I did the first ever Oman tour. Which, speaking of those transfers, one of the stages we actually the transfer was actually a flight by jet. <laughs> and then about three hours in buses, <laughs> and that was in the in the days twenty ten. So Cancellara, Tom Bone, and all those guys were there who who were just they were like uh, uh, truculent union leaders, um, Bonin and Cancellara. And Cancellara Ca was also in Calpit. God, was he? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's another free team. Ah, oh, sorry. No, 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 no. But do you remember? I mean, do you remember him doing the tour of Britain? And they were like stopping. They were like they decided they were going on strike because, and they were like stopping pro Conti riders from break away, breaking away by holding onto the backs of their saddles and not letting them. But they were like, you know, right, all out. No, you. Know, they were like. Yeah, you shop know, stewards. Yeah, shop stewards. And Cancellara um, and was saying, listen, why didn't we just stay in a bivouac in the middle of the desert? You know, we could have done that rather than having all these, 
transfers and so on. But um, <coughs> but yeah, yeah, no. The the the, the point being essentially that RCS, you you do actually get the Giro d'Italia team doing it, and some of the some of the some of the ASO events. There's sort of a little bit, you know, um, school leaver work experience people doing. And the vice president of the Turkish of the Tour of Turkey was there in 2010 in Oman. And he said, uh, so what What do you think of uh, ASO? They want to come and organize Tour of Turkey. And I sort of said, uh, mm, no, I, I wouldn't actually. So I don't know if that cost ASO millions of pounds, but since they never offer me any job. <laughs> no bias going on here. <laughs> hey guys, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to jump off, I'm afraid, as the family are waiting for me down in the village gotta go and do my holiday stuff ah uh, well yeah that's um fair enough all right speak to you yeah, soon david it's, well speak have fun guys catch up with you in the next days i guess what are we called what's this podcast called fata morgana never strays what does that fata mean morgana. Uh, what does that mean uh fata morgana i first came across that word when i lived in germany it is the german or the word that the phrase that the germans use for a mirage it is a desert mirage, Fata Morgana. And um, I can't remember the actual reason why it is, but it's got quite an interesting reason. So I'll find out. All right. Have you gone? All right. No, no, I'm going now. All right, All right. guys. <laughs> Lots of love. He's out of it. He's out of it. <laughs> hey, Bye. listen. We've got a couple more minutes. we yeah. talk about David Miller. Should we talk about David Miller? God, blimey. I tell you what, just to get on a bike. He's talking about 20,000 quids worth of kit. So the biggest, most prestigious manufacturers in cycling, you know, can, can you knock me up a, a skin suit? And so, blimey. Well, it's it's just David Miller, isn't it? I mean, remember the plank attack. It's <laughs> just his his personality so, is so obsessive that we shouldn't we shouldn't assume that people know what we're talking about. The plank no, attack. No, sorry, we shouldn't. it was twenty nineteen, wasn't it? Yeah. And it was my birthday. It's my 50th birthday. Plunged. Uh, and and, and David thought to celebrate my 50th birthday, we'd have a handicapped running race up La Planche des Belles And you're right. He went to Decathlon. He got bespoke kit made up. He got you know, names on the back, or ages on the back, which is amazing. And that was just the start of it. That was just the start of it. Yeah. It's almost the end of me. But... But do you remember that's how nervous just, that's you were? Like. Do you remember how oh, nervous yeah. you were? You got really uptight about it, didn't you? Yeah, because <laughs> I knew what the effort was going to... I knew what was... It was going to hurt. It was going to hurt, yeah. I gave it everything. Because we went off at five-minute intervals, didn't we? Mm-hmm. And you won. Yeah. Yeah. David Miller let me... Yeah. Yeah. Still had the cardiovascular, though. No. It's gone now. Has it gone? Three years is... Yeah, that's it. You, you, you don't bet... You barely hold on to anything. <laughs> but at that point, it was still like... Yeah. You knew how to hurt yourself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's very similar, isn't it? With his time trial. It's... Like yes, Matt so... says, it's funny, isn't it? We, we touched on it before. Just to basically do a bit of training. What I love about this bit of the podcast is he doesn't know what we're talking about. No. That's never happened before. No. And he might... We've been doing... For Does never... he listen to it all? Will yeah, listen? yeah, he, he will, will listen to it. He'll listen to it back. Oh. Which is really interesting. We could say anything now. It kind of like well, slightly... yeah, almost. Well, yeah. I mean, within reason, you're <laughs> right. <laughs> you're right. Yeah. Anyway, welcome to World Feed Commentary. So this is Thank two you. two weeks in a row, Pete, that I've welcomed ITV colleagues to World Feed Commentary. It's David Miller's first experience of World Feed Commentary, and it was interesting. 
And as if you were, if our listeners, you know, were kind of abreast of what we've been doing last week, of the four stages, David Miller and I completely failed to recognize the winner on two. 50% success rate. But this is a world tour peloton. This is going to be easy peasy, isn't it? Yeah. For me, I think it'd be worth explaining what world feed commentary actually means as well. Because I've tried to explain where I'm going and what I'm doing here to certain people. And I get as far as I'm commentating for RCS who can then sell. Yeah. Is that it? Is yeah, that it, it is. So so they sell. So we don't know as we're commentating where it's going. No. And you know, sometimes mad, these deals it? get done at the very last minute. Yeah. So um, they go to. So one thing that's you know very clear is that it's not going to on, on GCN Eurosport. Yeah. Because they own, you know, they buy their rights to mm-hmm. put in their own people quite rightly. And but there are lots of territories around the world um, where there are significant, even here in United Arab Emirates, for example, there are significant English-speaking communities: Australia, New Zealand, Far East, Singapore, Hong Kong, uh, probably India, North America, South Africa, places like that, where the networks that will buy the rights to show the UAE tour can't afford to send their own commentators or can't afford to put their own commentary on top of the race. So when um, RCS sell the rights to broadcast the UAE tour, as a little bonus or a little extra, say, and we can provide English language commentary. Oh, yeah. So it could just go to a sports channel in so North It'll America. just end up in nutty places. Yeah. It'll just kind of Crazy, pop up and say, so, uh, yeah, I'm listening to you from Guam. You know, all kind of, uh, that, <laughs> yeah. that, that's where it'd be. Um, so that's what world feed commentary is. Uh, and it's quite good fun. They're quite long days. Yeah. No commercial breaks, Pete. You've been spoiled Whoa. by working for ITV. Oh, my. I thought I had it hard with 150k to go sat next to Rendell, but <laughs> this could get a whole lot worse, couldn't it? <laughs> we might be calling you in But the tomorrow. really interesting thing that I wanted to discuss, I keep meaning to discuss, and I talk, was, was I talking to you, I was certainly talking to Matt about it, was this thing that um, when I was at the Tour of Antalya, a 2.2 race, yeah, um, last week, um, talking to a man you know very well, Aidan, the Aidan Guni, uh, the um, organizer, he was saying that he, you know, this is a relatively new race, I think it's only four years old. Um, they wanted it to be shown on telly. Uh, they went to the company that I've just mentioned, um, who are you know the premium distributor of cycling content live races. And um, they uh, couldn't afford the fee that was being charged by, well, I'd say again, GCN Eurosport, which is you know great. I, I'm a subscriber. I watch them all the time. Um, um, but it's 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 interesting. It's worth noting, isn't it, that GCN Eurosport don't always buy the rights to races like they do for the Tour de France or the Giro d'Italia or the Tour of Flanders or Paris Roubaix, where they will pay substantial sums of money to buy the rights to show the big races. When the races are smaller and trying to make their way in the world, they would charge the races to be distributed and shown. Which I think is kind of worth noting, um, because I don't know how well known that is, Matt. No, not well known. I mean, the Tour of Turkey used to pay a quarter of a million a year to be shown on the telly. And they used to have, they used, effectively, they used to be the UAE Tour. That is to say, they used to be the race that had the best lineup of sprinters of any race in the world. Yeah, yeah. And then they'd be, it would be won by the likes of, you know, a young Adam Yates or, you know, Peyo Bilbao or, you know, these young riders coming through. And, and you're going, well, 
you know, hey, I, I got a story about that years ago. I was um, talking to the Euromedia motorbike pilots and like the elite group of uh, moto pilots, ex superbikes, ex um, Paris Dakar competitors and so on who drive the bikes to the Tour de France. They're absolute masters. And they they understand that they're effectively the 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 the, um, the tripod or the uh, the the jolly you know the tripod on wheels the for the the dolly I should say yeah the tripod the jolly yeah. the tripod on wheels for for the cameras so they know what they're doing they're brilliant. and there was we we were actually I think we were at the um, uh, Dubai tour years ago and they said Matt how can we go to Colombia and and film the tour of Colombia we want to go to Colombia as a group and I said well yeah and behind us was sitting Patrick Chassage remember him yeah. he used to be head yeah. of sport at Eurosport and I turned around and I said Patrick these guys want to go to Colombia if we go to Colombia and we'll film you an hour long documentary about the tour of Colombia bit of racing bit of crowd bit of atmos bit of explaining what it's all about would you show that and he said yep I'd show that on Eurosport. This is 10 years ago. So, so I said, okay, brilliant. And I phoned up Outdoor Life, yeah, in the States, yep. who, who they were verses at one point in Outdoor Life and OLN. And OLN, yeah. And I, um, and I got a number to speak to their schedules people and said, look, uh, thinking of doing this, would you show it? And they said, yeah, yeah, we'd show it. And I said, okay, brilliant. You know, what, what sort of fee do you pay for that sort of thing? And they said, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Let me stop you there. Right? And, and they said, you know, we'd, uh, for an hour long, we'd have four commercial breaks and you would sell those commercial breaks. And I go, well, I wouldn't have the faintest idea how to sell at commercial yeah. breaks. And basically they're saying, so you'd have to go and find people to pay. Exactly. Yeah, or you can pay us, you know, $200,000 or, you know, $400,000 or something. And what you think... It's yeah. the way of the world, isn't it? Ah. Like we were talking about earlier as well with under twenty three teams and trying to get into smaller races, yeah, totally. and it's the same across the broad across the board, yeah. not just only in cycling and all all walks of life probably. That's well, how it I, works, isn't I it? I went and I went and met um, the the guy that runs the um, Abu Dhabi Cycling Club, which which sounds like it's a bunch of middle-aged men that go but it's actually you know, it's paid for by the state and it's kind of starting at eight years old and they've got a really nice setup the facilities they've got are unbelievable and their um their plan their model is to have a continental team possibly next year mm. or the year after okay and i'm just thinking yeah blimey imagine you, the small race organizers and they get an application from the abu dhabi cycling club and they're going to be, yeah, yeah, you can come and ride for us. Yeah. You can and ride here. But. <coughs> Ten grand, sorry. Yeah. That's, they'll, yeah, be all over it, won't they? But it's interesting. I mean, you know, it, it, that, that negotiates. So the bigger races and smaller races. What about the races that sit in the middle where it's not certain whether you pay them or we pay you? You know, kind of like, that's the really interesting thing. It's a bit like in the Tour de France, for example. You know, the Tour de France will charge um, the little town of Angers. <laughs> Um, a significant amount of money, whatever it is, 250,000 euros. Or I don't know what the current fee is to host a stage start or a bit more to host a finish. Paris. But Paris yeah. gets paid. Mm. You know, mm. so where does that leave Marseille or Bordeaux? <laughs> Do they go, well, hang on, Paris gets paid? Are we going to pay you? 
like we're an important city too. We're, you know, so it's it's really interesting. Isn't it? And here's an interesting one because of I think because of Paris, although it might not be because of Paris. Don't touch my knee like essentially, that. Essentially, because of Paris. Just touch my knee in a <laughs> avuncular um, manner. The uh, there was nothing avuncular about that. Um, the <laughs> no, 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 but, but you know, the Tour de France is one of the one of the sort of um, major national sports events. I'm quite hungry now, by the way. Should we have dinner in a minute? On yeah. National, yeah, yeah, free to view <laughs> television. Yeah, so Tour de France has to be on France Television because it has the Champs Elysees, right? Yeah, if the, the Tour de France cannot not be on national telly, it's a bit like the FA Cup. Final. Can I put my hand yeah? in the air and, and just interject here? Yeah. As things stand, yeah, the Tour de France Femme mm-hmm. will not be on free to air television oh. in any territory. Mm. Okay, so ASO, is, ASO have done as things stand. I, as I understand it, yeah, I may be wrong, but a, right. an exclusive deal with um with Eurosport, with GCN Eurosport. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, carry on. Well, no, and and what I was going to say, I mean, on on the related issue, is that in a strange way, the Tour de France is de France and it's in France, but it belongs to the world in a sense, you know. And oh, that's an interesting one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Uh, but so it's a funny one. Um, I wonder. I wonder when the ITV contract runs out, whenever yeah. that is. Yeah. I wonder what. I wonder if ASO will be saying we need a, a, a big, massive national audience like you get on a free-to-air national channel, or whether whether they don't give a stuff about it being behind a paywall. In other territories, you yeah, see, well, it's one of those, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, other Funny. sports, there's been, cycling is kind of like almost playing catch-up a decade or two late. Mm. So that, you know, a lot of other sports, which are not the top rank of sports, maybe have kind of been through this journey already, haven't they? They've kind of gone, yeah. they've gone behind a paywall and then they've emerged Realized. the other ends that, yeah. you know, actually... If they want to attract brands and big sponsors, they need eyeballs. It's a bit like ripping up the tram lines, isn't it? And then 30 years later, yeah, you're going, oh, we better put some tram lines on. They were a really yeah, good idea. Yeah. Uh, you know, whereas the Giro d'Italia is a bit like heavyweight boxing. Everyone has heard of it, but no one's ever seen it. You know? Because <laughs> it's, it's kind of... Everyone's heard of Fausto Coppi like they've heard of Muhammad Ali. Yeah. But you've only ever seen grainy old black and white footage because it's, it's constantly being sold to the highest bidder. Yeah, um, yeah, you yeah, know, and and it's, it consequently has no no yeah. audience. So, Matt Rendell, if it was up to you, how how would this work? What's the answer? What's the answer? Yep, you Listen, tell me. You're answering the wrong guy because you know the guy, you know yeah. the, the the editor's job. Because that's the problem. Because we can sit here and yeah. talk about it all day long. Yeah. But the 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 answer to this unknown question. Mm. Yeah, but do you know Where what? I always think that um, from a, a a big audience, yeah, you 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 get uh, okay. You might not make the the same money as. So you as, think it should be set in stone almost with what race it is, who's riding, how it works, and everyone knows. Or I can't, I just no. I just think that race organisers. Should, should should say we want to be seen by as many people as possible and, yeah. and provide the biggest possible um what's the word uh, um show, uh, showcase or shop window so that we can sell sponsorship and i think that if you're going to restrict the uh, viewer 
numbers by going behind a paywall, um, how much more are you really going to stand to, to to make? And I think you're in the end you're going to be talking about quantities that just aren't significant p- compared with the the virtue of building an audience over years. But then again, what do I know? I don't know anything. I just <laughs> talk into these things, and and I'm like I'm like the guy that builds a bridge, but no one's ever going to drive over it. <laughs> <laughs> that's great <laughs> brilliant well well listen thanks for you know especially it's been really valuable having you both on this podcast since um the line to switzerland went down well, well the, thank thanks you for the, thanks for the bottle of red wine that's all right and mostly empty isn't thanks it? So. for breaking the ice before my next commentary about tomorrow since the tour de france it's been a while talking into a yeah talking there into a microphone that's what you're gonna have to do for four and a half hours tomorrow on top yeah, 148 kilometres. Turn right. <laughs> Hope we got some after good stories, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that right. was um, episode one of Never Stray's Fata Morgana. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> <laughs> 